following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned. Live from our basement studios here in suburban Chicago, it's another edition of That Wine Pod. I'm Pete, and sitting across from me, the Brigadier of Basilicata, Vino Mike. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I feel like this episode is going to test the boundaries of our Italian pronunciation capabilities. Oh, don't they all? <laughs> when we when we take it to the motherland, so hint, hint, right? Well, quite frankly, I'm not sure I've mastered English, so... <laughs> Can't hold that too much against me. Yeah, nor nor has many people. Um, it, it's funny seeing the English language. Uh, you know, different words with the you know different different letters put together that make different sounds. Like if you're you know a foreign language, you know, non English speaking person learning English, I can't even imagine. No, it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, and, and we're already getting into that, right? We've both got little kids, so there's like they get taught these rules, and then then they see a word. And you're like, oh, that's not exactly how you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Second grade right now. And I read some of the stuff that comes home and I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> Are that's you for as sure. smart as a second grader. <laughs> Apparently not. No, no, no. Apparently not. But I, I know a little bit about about Italian wine. So I got that going. You do, man. And I, I love what we're doing here. A little bit of honor to the females of this industry mm-hmm. during Women's History Month. That's great, man. I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, people in the industry putting on different tastings, uh, events, features on wine programs that are really putting a spotlight on female winemakers. You know, we've brought this up before on the show, you know, 12 months out of the year. Let's celebrate, you know, our female leaders and empower, uh, you know, the the females to... Uh, you know, get up there and stay up there, basically. You know, yeah, like I, they, you know, I'm I'm with you, dude. Like at this point, I'm not sure how we do this in a way that um, it doesn't seem like pandering. Yes, right. But that's not the goal here. The goal is that I'm not sure that people understand when there is a female winemaker. If somebody pictured a, a winemaker in their head, I guarantee almost all the time a male comes to mind right yeah and it's just unfortunately that's still the case in the majority but there are incredible female winemakers out there and we just want to spotlight a few of them exactly during a time where we're trying to shine a spotlight and it's nice to talk about that uh in a positive way Mm -hmm. right yep exactly so uh for the month of march we'll we'll have a couple of wine you know a couple of female entrepreneur wine owners winemakers to feature on the show here and uh again just just hopefully uh using our platform to maybe reach some new uh you, you know some uh some new not new listeners but reach some some new people that have never heard of these wines that can hopefully try to track them them down because i think both are somewhat attainable in, in terms of being able to get your hands on on them they're not large production but they're not micro and only imported to one state or something like that so absolutely and they're well regarded well within regarded. the within the industry so 
you will find professionals that will be trying to steer you towards these types of wines. So why don't we just go ahead and get started with the the first one you've got on in our glass here. All right, let's jump right in. So the the wine that we're tasting for today's episode, as you all probably are aware by now, is from Italy. Uh, This comes from southern Italy in a region called Basilicata. And the main wine that this region is known for is Alianico del Volture. That is the name of the appellation. That's what we're tasting today. Uh, the specific wine we're featuring is by uh, Elena Fucci, and this is called her Titolo. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Titolo. right there. I mean, you've just nailed like all these pronunciations. <laughs> I feel like uh, you should get like a sticker. <sighs> I'm done. <laughs> done for the day. All yes, right. I should get a little sticker. Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, it, I mean, you know, that's, we were, we were kind of like talking about that, you know, earlier, some people you hear it pronounced Titolo, the actual pronunciation is Titolo. Um, it has a a general meaning of title, but what, what it refers to in the case of Elena Fucci is her, uh, the land that she grew up on, the land that she is from, um, this this area so uh, a little bit real quick about basilicata uh and where we are the vulture it's named after mount vulture which is a volcano and so we're very high elevation it's more mountainous uh the other region alianico is very well known is called Torasi, and that's next door in the region of campania uh i believe we are about one third higher in elevation than what the elevation of Tarasi is, give or take maybe different spots of the regions um, that can vary slightly. But uh, in general, it's more mountainous here uh, and definitely volcanic soils. Um, And that is kind of what Titolo refers to, the volcanic soil of this little area. Um, She's in a town called Barile, a very small village called Barile at the foothills of this volcano. such a cool story, man. I, I love telling this story. Before I do, this is imported here by Bevuma. Uh, we are big fans of Bevuma. We have featured these wines on the show before. But full disclosure, I am now out on the streets selling the Bevuma wines and trying to spread the gospel of this portfolio. So I'm working with Paulo and uh, I just want to give that full disclosure because we are an independent podcast. um, And, but it's so hard to not talk about some of these wines that we have talked about on the show before. Uh, I mean, to be fair, we've been selling these wines for a very long time in one way or another. Right. We've been enjoying these wines at home a lot giving them away as gifts, right? And this one in partic- particular was not with Bivuma. It hasn't been with Bivuma very long. Very long. When we first discovered it, it was with a different importer and distributor here in Illinois, and she works with other importers in other parts of the United States as right. well. So. Right, and it's hard to find good versions, like really good artisan versions of this grape. Mm-hmm. And Elena Fucci, as, as Mike will get into this here in a second, you know, this is what she's concentrating on. So you're in this Southern Italian area where next door is Campania and on the other side of it is Puglia to kind of give you a, you know, like a little bit of a geographic, like where it's at. Right. Mm -hmm. And this Basilicata area, nobody's talking about it. Right. Period. Right. So 
after you taste this particular wine, you will talk about it. You will seek this stuff out uh, because it's that darn good. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good vintage after vintage, but it is, as Mike will get into here, it's artisan. So there is big vintage variation depending on what's handed to uh, to the wineries. Yeah, exactly. Um, well put. And yeah, when it comes to Basilicata, I mean, Elena Fucci has really made a name for herself in this wine. Uh, I think it's the premier wine of the region, and it really has become one of, one of Italy's premier wines. Uh, so uh, tell, tell the, I'll tell the Fucci story here real quick and, and give the background here. So the, the vines and the vineyard that she, she works with has been in her family um, currently now for four generations. But We'll rewind a generation. Um, It was inherited uh, to her and her parents from her grandfather who came, you know, who who got the vines going and uh, owned owned the land prior. And when when that title passed over, oh, title. hmm. (laughs) So when this passed over to them, they were kind of on. It seemed like they were on the fence about, you know, they didn't want to put in the time and effort to maintain the vines. But kind of in the last minute, um, when they were maybe looking for a buyer to buy everything, this buyer wanted to buy the home, their home also. And that's what really kind of tugged on the heartstrings, I think, for Elena to say, wait a minute, this is my home. And these are magnificent vines. These are 50 to 70 year old vines. So they're very old vine Alianica. They really um, put out some great, great fruit in order to make this great wine. Um, no. The, uh, the, uh, so at the last minute, you know, she decides, no, let's not sell. I am going to sink a bunch of energy in terms of research. Um, and, learning about the craft of winemaking to go about this project uh, called Titolo. And she's only been making this wine for about 20 years now. And if you think about that, that's not very long at all. Uh, This is, you know, the new millennium here for for this winery to begin. So uh, very, very new, but she has had one of the most consistent records ever since Vintage One of high quality artisanal winemaking uh, awards from top scores from all the publications, Treby Carey from Gambero Rosso every single year. And uh, it's, it's just a phenomenal wine. So, you know, when we first discovered this wine, I think maybe this was around 2015 for, for me. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact year, but give or take maybe even, maybe even yeah, I think 2015 she she was in town she was not working with Paulo at Bevuma at this time but she came to town for Trevi Carey and she stopped by Vin Chicago where we were featuring the wine and it was just such an amazing delight to have her she's so sweet she poured wines for our customers of course everybody ate it up loved the wine loved talking with her and uh, ever since that moment I've just been on board as a big fan of of this wine called Titolo Titolo um, <laughs> I know I <laughs> trip over my own uh pronunciation of it so uh the other thing everybody alianico this grape uh you know this is a grape of uh that that can make a wine with uh elegance longevity it is typically on the fuller bodied side can be kind of tannic um dry i think this version uh in its youth 
offers a lot of similar characteristics that you might get from like a new world cab or not necessarily in flavor but you get this full bodied this richness and this ripeness she also ages the wine in 100% new French oak for a year so it's getting like the full lavish French oak treatment so you know for a wine to be able to soak up that new French oak it's got to have a lot of concentration and structure and density otherwise it's going to the oak is going to completely overpower it but it, it never does with this wine um what else what else oh one other thing i wanted to bring up that's interesting alianico del Vulture is the doc of this region the only docg of this region is the same thing but superiore or reserva so she does make a little bit of both i don't know those production numbers but they're pretty small uh so it's just interesting to note uh on, on the geeky nerdy side here that Alianico del Volture by itself is only, quote, air quotes, DOC, where if you age it a little bit longer, that's the main requirements for Superiore or for Reserva is longer time in oak and in the bottle before being released to market. Then you can call it Superiore or Reserva and you get DOCG status on it. So it's just kind of interesting to me. I don't know why the regular DOC isn't elevated to DOCG because overall it's a makes you know some pretty good wine. So Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it got DOC status quite a while ago. I think it's been over 40 years now. So would, or maybe even 50, it. you know, I might be 50 years now. Could be. Um I I think it was like back in the early, early seventies. So it's, yeah. it's been like 50 years. So, and, and what you're talking about in terms of the longevity of the wine, like this is, we're talking 15 year kind of aging. Yeah. Like yeah. we're not talking like a few years, like 2017 yeah. is still young like yeah. very young. And right I, now. I don't even remember if I said the vintage. So let's, you know, 2017. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's okay. I, I forgot. But yeah, 2017 is what's in our glass now. Um, and I, I think, you know, 18 and 19 are already bottled. Uh, I don't know what's in different markets, but it's great to have some 17 here right now. Um, but this, this, as you were alluding to, yes, like 10, 15 year old wine, you know, ageability here. Uh, is is not far fetched, you know. To do right. yeah, and I find that this wine young is like you have to decant it quite a while in order for it to be drinkable. I find the tannins just to be a little bit too uh, astringent when it's just popped and poured when it's this when it's super young, right? Yeah. So those first couple of years in bottle, now it's starting to morph into something that's a little bit more lush, like deeper fruited. And starting to integrate those tannins more, although still really young. Yeah, for sure. This is like, uh, this is my first sip of of wine today. And it's just afternoon to give you guys a little behind the scenes of when we're recording. And man, it is a like punch to the palate here to, to start off with. Um, I mean, these are really full bodied wines. Uh, and yes, decanting. Great call, man. That will like settle that tannin down a little bit. Give it some oxygen and some air. But, um, you know, the other thing, of course, is like this is an absolute must to pair up with a great dish to go along with it. This is not like a, you know, Sunday afternoon sipper while, you know, binging Netflix on the couch. It's a little bit too big for that. I mean, I'm not going to judge you if that's what you want to do. 
but no judgment, <laughs> no judgment. But if you're if you're into like completely drying your mouth out and you know having some astringent feelings, like hey, no, ju- <laughs> that's cool. Like whatever floats your boat, right? You know, yeah. Uh, but if you can muster up the energy to grill a piece of uh, meat to go along with this, then even better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it is really tannic even now, right? So yeah, I, I, it's it's a season where we get out there and start smoking. So it's like I just want to smoke some really nice beef brisket. Oh, okay, food. Gotcha. And then, oh yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, uh, we don't judge the other stuff either. But I really want to like a beef brisket mm-hmm. in this bottle of wine would just be absolutely beautiful. Perfect, man. You Perfect. Know? And yeah, this is launching right around St. <laughs> Patty's Day. Can we can we cross over, get some people to drink some uh, Alianico del Volturi with their corned beef? Why not? Yeah. I'm all in on that. Yeah. I've got some ready. I'm going to be smoking some corned beef uh tomorrow yeah you are so i cannot wait yeah you are oh it's great i mean daylight savings finally hit uh it seems like the slightly warmer temperatures came along with it for us up here in chicago you never know like the month of march you get all the seasons you know within a week but got some really pleasant outdoor smoking meat drinking wine weather it's like cellar temperature out there baby you know i know i can't wait a couple reds to sip on and yeah, this is the time to be out outside and yeah, cooking and having a glass of something good. But uh, anyways, that sounds amazing as far as a food pairing with this wine. And, you know, I, I think the other thing that's pretty remarkable is that, you know, th- this is a, a, a woman, an entrepreneur, a winemaker with really not a lot of experience going into this and to just put in the, um, all the time and effort and research, um, you know, from, from what I read, like she's very meticulous, right? She's very smart um, and doesn't want to cut corners and wants to understand everything probably going on with, with her vineyard, her vines, the wine, etc. cetera. Uh, and you know, it's just kind of a little bit, you know, this this word has been used so many times in the last two years, but slightly unprecedented, if you will, for, you know, to just set up shop in Italy and make one of Italy's best wines. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, I mean, what she's been able to harness within this very unknown area, right? Like getting out into the world with it, with two things. One. I feel like she's really captured the volcanic soils yeah. within this wine, right? There's complexity. There's this minerality, this little bit of tinge of smokiness, those volcanic, uh, the complementary, uh, what am I trying to say? The way that the volcanic soil can complement this grape yeah. is brought out in her wine. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say very poorly. That's <laughs> okay. Because... That's why we don't get paid to do this. <laughs> exactly. I understand. I understand what you're trying to say there. And uh, I mean, it's, it, that's another truly amazing thing, uh, the, how these grapes, uh, just grow in these certain areas and take, take to that, to the region based on the exposure and the soil type and everything like that. There is some cool info on the back of the label too. Speaking of that. So she puts soil volcanic. I'm sure it gets more specific than that. Altitude is 600 meters above sea level. It's pretty far up there. Um, I and that's what I was saying. Tarasi, I'm guessing, is more in like you know four to four fifty. Yeah, that area. Give or take. 
And let's see, the exposition of the vineyard is south-southeast facing, which is great uh, for a vineyard. Um, And grape age is 50, 70 years that we talked about. And bottles produced, um, 28,000. And she actually, like this one, this particular one is, is uh, number 5,952. So... So when you say the south southeast slope is good for a vineyard, is that because of sun exposure? I believe so. Yeah, you know, I I mean, I think like it's not necessarily like the opposite is bad for a vineyard. I think the type of grape you're growing comes into play here. Uh, but you know, typically, you know, the the vines that are facing south southeast south southwest, you're getting a little bit more sunshine throughout the day. So for a grape like Alianico that needs to get ripe and we're super high in altitude, which also yields some cool nights which gives this wine also the acidity that it has i mean it's such it's the full package here you know it kind of parallels priorat a little bit to me where you have full-bodied and ripe forward wines that can stand new oak but also this mouth-watering acidity and this really rich deep earthiness from the from the mountainous soils the slate and priorat i don't know what they call it here in 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 if it's called Titolo, uh, if that's like the name of the soils that are local, I'm not a hundred percent sure. It might have like multi read just a blanket term that covers the whole area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll Poltzolanic soil I know is a big part of what's going on there. Okay. Um, I don't know much about that kind of soil. I just know that that's what's happening. Right. Um, but to your point about production, right. 28,000 bottles sounds like a lot, but remember that's 28,000 bottles for the world. That is 2,333 cases. I mean, you know, Elena needs to save at least one or two for herself first. (laughs) So that's not a lot to go around. And and here's the other part of this that I find fascinating about her and what she's created. She makes Titolo. Yes. That's it. So she may make a pink, Titulos, which she does. Yep. She may make um, one in Amphora, which she does. Both of those super small production, right? She also makes some olive oil. Mm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like she does more with her business, right? But I'm talking about wine production that she's been able to take a single wine, get her name into the world by while making only a couple of thousand cases total mm-hmm. and finding a way to make money off that at a very reasonable price still on the shelf. Like this is an approachable price point. I don't know what it's going for in the market these days, but yeah, it's... you know, I think that you can probably be on the lookout for this wine around upper thirties to low forties, give or take wherever you are in the market, whatever type of wine store you're shopping at, etc. But so, so like $40, you know, give or take probably is, is, is average maybe a little bit north of there so we can say 45 but um for what it is and for a wine that you should buy a few bottles and lay some down in the cellar for long term it's a great value yeah i mean this is not possible without generational uh property Mm -hmm. inheritance Mm -hmm. right yeah you can't make i mean because more or less you know the the wholesale of this is going to be half a million dollars yeah right total like so that so that it's buying all of the equipment needed for the year 
That's buying all of the bottles. That's buying all of the corks. Like we're talking like you, you got to think about this as a business to really, really appreciate when somebody is doing something like that. Cause when yeah. we say 40 bucks per, per bottle that that's, she's not making 40 bucks. She's making like maybe 18 to 20 bucks because she's got to get it over here. There's taxes. So she's not making that much per bottle. Right. You know, I would say probably closer to 18. Yeah. You know, so it's really remarkable what she's been able to do with, with more or less a single product, like name something else. that has got like a single product, right? For sure. That's, that you're able to kind of make a living off of. And, you know, dude, you alluded to a couple of the, the other wines that she's making, the the pink, the rosé, and now the Amphora version. This is, th- these are new, you know? So for the last 20 years, 19, 18 years, it really only has been that one label. Uh, she, I know she made a small amount here and there of Superiore and of Reserva, uh, she may have even done the Reserva only in Magnum, which there was only like 300 of those produced for the world. So, I mean, minuscule production. I think the story with the Anfora, uh, so she got, she's gotten her hands on some terracotta, and I think it is her, uh, uh, not experimentation, but just kind of learning when she uses that earthier vessel that it is actually to make a better version of the wine every step of the way is to make the wine better uh so it may and to i haven't tried it yet and i'm very excited to when whenever you know i get the chance but i'm i'm just guessing that this is a wine that's going to elevate everything being that it is in contact with the earthy terracotta coming from these you know particular volcanic earthy soils and then aged in in the you know i don't know if she's using french oak to age that or what the dealio is if it's all terracotta aged in terracotta and then bottled but we'll have to look into that a little bit i I would assume that's the case that it's all amphora but i think that's going to make a really special wine yeah, Definitely can't wait to try that. Yeah, I mean, I would think that it's gonna gonna bring out a lot. Oh yeah, here it is. Eighteen month, eighteen months in amphora of seven hundred liters in untreated terracotta, mm-hmm. following aging of six months in bottle. So it is a yeah. It it doesn't it's see just, any oak. So you're gonna get yeah. a a pure expression, probably more minerality, maybe slightly softer. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Um. Of a wine, yeah, but, I mean, but this a is, lot of earthiness. This is what we're drinking now, is stainless steel and then French oak. And it goes through the malolactic in the French oak, so it is, like, soft but still kind of astringent. This, yeah, I think it's going to, like... Does any of that make it here? I think it will. I hope so. I hope so, too. <laughs> Let me think well, about we'll, who we'll, my we'll connection check. could be. <laughs> because, because on this one, bottles produced... Yeah. Of the 2017, yeah, 933. Yeah, like nothing. I mean, right? literally yeah. nothing. I mean, that's yeah, that would be fun, 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 and to taste them side by side. Yeah, wow, that would be really kind of interesting. I mean, you know, we are we are always having you know orders coming out of Italy into Bevuma. Um, so I, you know, full disclosure, there's no Anfora in the house at this moment in time so i don't know like that's why i haven't tasted it i don't know even now the 2017 godly 900 bottles i you know so i i'm guessing that if some amphora makes it to illinois that 
it will probably be 18 vintage or even 19. I'm not hundred percent sure, but you know, uh, but either way. Yeah. If she decided to keep making it. Yeah. Right. Like that's the kind of thing that you may or may not do. But anyway, such an interesting wine. I totally, Mm -hmm. this is one that I highly, highly recommend grabbing. And yeah, it's fun with beef brisket and with things like, you know, corned beef or whatever, but get yourself some Italian, hearty Italian food. Yeah. Your, your favorite kind of richer pasta and some red sauce because a hunk of some like aged hard cow's milk cheese, like something rich and robust for that. And some salumi even like perfect, but yeah, yeah. maybe even some, some lamb or, Mm -hmm. or something like just it. Cause it's just a gorgeous wine. It really is. I can't like, I've got vintages of this just sitting here. Right. Because I don't, I'm a, like, I don't want to open it yet yeah. because I know it's going to be great 10, 15 years down the line. And I think I've still got, gosh, I mean, I've got some, some older stuff of this, maybe even some nine or right on. So it's, it's been sitting here for, for a while. Right on. That's great, man. Yeah. Um, so who knows what it'll, it'll, you know, when that night will be, you know, they got to open it, but it'll happen. All right. Sounds good. And who knows, maybe we'll have some microphones to flip on when it happens. But <laughs> if not, we'll definitely talk about it. So, um, yeah, you know, just uh, I think in the in the wine world, she's definitely made a name for herself. And a lot of people know this wine uh, and know its pedigree. I think in the mainstream, it's still relatively undiscovered. I think Alianico, Alianico. Alianico is also undiscovered in general. Um, you know, I saw someone in an article reference it as like the Barolo of the South. And I, I just think like, don't, don't go that direction, guys. You make really great wine from this grape. Don't let's, you know, Nebbiolo's up in the North. It's got its thing going on. Do your own thing, you know, like stand, stand behind your grape and behind, yeah. behind your regions because it makes tremendously incredible wines. I mean, other than some, tannic you know other than the tannins like i i couldn't i'm not going to compare this to nebbiolo no it's not even it's close. not even not the same at all yeah so yeah awesome man well this was fun yeah for sure fun little episode to kick off our you know mini <laughs> mini series of of spotlight on on female winemakers that we that you and i really love and yeah. have known for a while so um hopefully uh, there's someone out there listening that is going to try to track down some titolo yeah, absolutely. Can't recommend it enough, brother. For sure. All right. Let's end it here. Cool. Everyone remember to go out and drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at, at That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram at Vino Mike. And Pete is at Fat Man Stories. Please subscribe to That Wine Pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto Funk by Kevin McLeod. That Wine Pod is a production of Paragon Media.